Welcome to episode 31 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded July 31st, 2019. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I started, or when I was working frontline emergency services, witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help get people prepared and able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. My background as a first responder has developed my mind for safety. I teach first aid, coach my friends and family to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade. I've worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. My name is Andrew. Normally, yeah, normally you can find me hosting Canadian Patriot Podcast. I'm a recovering libertarian, a competitive shooter, firearms instructor at Ragnarok Tactical, and you should use the discount code PATRIOT at checkout. Save 10% on first aid supplies. I'm Gavin, a business owner, gun owner, volunteer first responder. You can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast regularly, and I also am an instructor with Ragnarok Tactical and an international man of mystery. <laughs> awesome. We've got some uh, critical care content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, some news articles relating to preparedness in the outdoors. Uh, next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since the last episode. Then we're going to get into our main topic for this episode, individual first aid kit contents and construction. I have a feeling it's going to be a good one. I agree. Let's move uh, I found an article about the garlic festival shootings. This happened uh, just outside uh, San Francisco, week, or I guess on the weekend. Um, gunmen cut through the security fencing to um, enter the festival where everybody else had been disarmed by um, searches and um, metal detectors first. And even the police on, in, on site uh, found and stopped with lethal force the shooter in under a minute. Three people died and something like 15 were wounded. Um, this is a good excuse or a good reason to have individual first aid kit with you at all times. Uh, as the saying goes, when seconds count, police are only minutes away. Great. I've got one here from Ottawa. I was actually going to uh, be in the last episode, but uh, didn't make it. Uh, it was from July 18th uh, in regards to uh, some alarming new information about uh, what may have killed hundreds of fish along the Ottawa and Livere rivers. Um, I probably pronounced that last one there. Horribly, my uh, French is terrible. Uh, of officials are looking uh, at whether a toxic chemical spill may be to blame, uh, although they say now the water is safe and uh, you can fish in it again. I don't know. but that's, That seems like a really quick turnaround. Yeah, it's a little quick. I don't think I'll be fishing there anytime soon. I do have to give kudos to the to the reporter uh, for this this global article. Um, he identified the firearm as an AK forty seven style semi automatic rifle and didn't get all dramatic about what it was. Just credit where due. Uh, it was a factual report and had nothing to do with fear mongering. It's impressive. Yes. That's yeah, rare. I'm, it's it's what? I was it, it's credit credit where due. I, I like to I like to give kudos where I can. All right, let's move into what we've done lately for our preps. We'll start it with Andrew. Yeah, I'm at the top of the deck, I guess. So um, this week is more loading of 223 rifle ammunition because that's all I seem to do. And by loading, I mean trimming brass because consistency and stuff. All of the brass needs to be trimmed. Uh, last Just wait week, till you we can also do. Boy. Yeah, when he gets bigger. <laughs> 
when he gets bigger. So that's it. Working my way through the uh, the two two three brass pile, getting ammo loaded up still. Cool. Alan. Um, I've had a long week of schooling and training. Uh, I can now uh, roll out hose like an absolute champ, and uh, every muscle in my body hurts, which usually means I'm doing something right. Uh, over the weekend, I um, cut up some limbs on the property to clear hazards out and use that to get some uh, get some tinder and kindling going for the uh, for the fire pit should the uh, should the need for heat arise. Hey, Gavin. Uh, I I didn't do a whole lot because I've been kind of busy, but I bought one of those giant crown Berkeys to help out my water supply. So nice. It's a cool. little oversized for my needs now, but I figure I'll grow into it. Oh, good. Go big or go home. You got yeah, it. For the price difference, I was like, yeah, I may as well get the big one. Why not? Yeah, the dog's happy because now he gets clean water too. <laughs> oh, that's important. Uh, so for myself, uh, finally got the uh, the AR-15 out to the range. So uh, I finally uh, buckled down, bought one, fixed myself, according to uh, the other the CPP panelists here. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So uh, finally got her out, put some rounds down range. Um, I also gave the uh, the nine millimeter and the twenty two a little bit of attention as well while we were out there because why not? Good yeah. stuff. What kind of an AR did you end up with? Uh, I got the uh, the M and P Sport Two. Nice. That's yeah. a solid starter rifle. Yeah, that was pretty good. Couldn't beat the price either. So no, they they, they really do have a great price on them. Yeah, so yeah, it was good. It's a bunch of fun. Lots of holes in paper. It was a good evening. So until the the transmission fluid decided to start leaking out of my truck, but that's another story. Well, that's yeah, that's a different. Hole. Yeah, <laughs> it was not because of any rounds. I'll put it that way. Well, that's good. Yeah. So. But uh, we move into the main topic. We'll start with Alan. Cool. So we're decided we're talking about an IFAC or individual first aid kit or improved first aid kit or blowout kit or any number of other generalized terms for it. It is, in fact, a very generic term. But the essence of the tools, the essence of it is that the tools that you have are there to save a life. So we're not talking specific. We're not talking about, you know, band-aids and um, band-aids and triangular bandages, but things like and a yeah. dressing or uh, an Israeli bandage, uh, hemostatic gauze and chest seals. And uh, I'm a big fan of uh, not touching other people's blood. So medical gloves and very specifically not black. Um, anybody that thinks they need black gloves needs to, needs to put them on and then try and tell the difference between sweat and blood. You can't, especially in low light conditions. So not black gloves. Anything else is good. Um, As with everything, um, the tool, the tool is only as, is only as good as the operator. So I make sure that you take a, make sure that you take a a stop the bleed class. Um, So it goes far beyond the stop the bleed class is very specifically about major trauma, uh, major hemorrhaging, regardless of the cause. Um, You can do that through, Ragnarok Tactical. Um, if you're a little bit west of if you're west of Toronto, you can contact me. I can I'm I'm an instructor as well. You can set one up. But um, the big thing the big thing is have the tools and know how to use them. Um, and as much as I've used most of these tools and I've trained with all of them, um, I like uh, um, I like Andrew's notes on this a whole lot better. So I'm going to kind of shut my mouth and let him talk. <laughs> yeah, it's just one thing with all the the different 
people use for, for IFAC. The only thing that it should never mean is improvised first aid kit. That That's not not a good thing. No, no, no. What? Okay, I got to change my notes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. the show notes out. We're done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I guess... Um, I can I can take off from there if you want, then Alan. So I'm Please I'm do. by no means I'm by no means an expert in this stuff. I am a stop the bleed instructor. Um, take with that what you will. An instructor in anything is you know only so good as they are. Just because you're qualified to be an instructor doesn't actually mean you know anything. Look at all of your teachers, for example. I mean, I feel like I'm getting into the other CPP, but you know, <laughs> you're not wrong. Nope. Yeah. I agree. So I I am not a trained medical professional. I am a, you know, moderately well-trained firearms operator, uh, which means we also got into training the first aid stuff because when Gavin and I started teaching courses, we'd find people would come to the range and wouldn't have a first aid kit. Never mind, like, a blowout kit for to be at the range with, but, like, yeah. a basic nope. first aid kit nope. in their vehicle to drive, drive to the range with. So we started selling first aid supplies pretty much right off the bat. I just don't understand how people don't have a first aid kit in their car. If you, I remember a discussion many years ago on Gun Nuts about improvising first aid supplies and where to scavenge things to save money. And because if you're going to go out and spend a thousand dollars on a gun, and you're going to go out and spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on ammo, invest what yeah. under a hundred dollars on a kit that's well, going to save your life. Yeah, the, the people if, that are going to go and. $10 on a box of tampons or $10 on a thing of cornstarch to stop bleeding when they could just go and buy $10 worth of gauze that'll do so much more. It infuriates me to no end. Like you're not saving money. You're buying something that is used for one thing and can maybe, maybe marginally make a difference in the first aid world if you've got nothing else. But if you spend the 10 bucks on gauze, It'll stop the bleeding and do other stuff. But the internet said the, yeah. the cornstarch was the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right next to the part about the tampons. But we'll get to that, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what really yeah. grinds my gears? Yeah. <laughs> People. Buy, buy, but just, guys, it's like it's really not expensive. Buy, buy the real stuff. And especially yeah. because Andrew put out that really fantastic 10% off code, which, by yep. the way, is Patriot. Uh, go to Ragnarok Tactical, buy the stuff, right? Have this stuff yeah. on hand. And more importantly, like practice using it. Because and another kind of key thing to remember is you don't practice with the stuff you rely on. So your your real life gonna save a life tourniquet is not the one you practice with. Um, yeah. We yeah, will gladly and, sell you a blue training one as well as the real yeah. There you go. And they're they're cheaper. Buy buy the training one. It's reusable. You can do it over and over and over again. Practice being able to put it on yourself. Practice being able to put it on somebody else in low light and with one hand tied behind your back and with you know somebody yelling at you and a dog barking because this is this is the no this is the no shit gonna save your life stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess um, we'll go back to the the history sort of where did we get improvised first aid kits and why why do we have them and. This is, this is all old U.S. Army, like circa 2003 stuff. That's when the IFAC started to become a thing. This is like the first push into Afghanistan and Iraq. 2003 be the first push into Iraq. Uh, so they started adding, you know, the OG first aid IFACs. Um, 
an increase over the old pressure dressings that they used to issue. That's when they started issuing tourniquets and hemostatic, uh, pardon me, at the time it would have been a hemostatic agent. It probably was a quick clot granules yeah, yeah, at the time. Clot up until, uh, up until fairly recently, yeah. yeah. Yes, and thankfully, very few agencies are still issuing the granules because they are a pain to work with. Oh, they're but, just not effective because uh, yeah. they, they yeah. get pushed out by the, by the, by the blood. Yeah, and you don't want to get it into anywhere else that's moist. No. For for reasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the, the idea here is to be able to provide individual first aid to yourself or to your battle buddy or, you know, whoever is your battle buddy. Uh, it's enough stuff to stop one person from bleeding to death. That's sort of the idea. You want to have a couple of basics. It really depends on how you're going to treat your casualty. Uh, I prefer the March algorithm over ABCs. ABCs is what Red Cross treats. Uh, March is more of the TCCC variety. So it sort of fit your kit based on how you're going to treat your casualty. And my assumption is always that I'm my, my own first casualty. I carry the first aid kits for myself and then for other people. There's a lot of this that it's going to come down to how much stuff do you want to carry and how much do you want to spend and how are you going to deal with all of that. But I mean, the basics of it, you need to be able to deal with airway, breathing, circulation, major hemorrhage. That's right. ABC well, is just like what you learned in Red Cross. And there's, there's nothing wrong with ABC, but it, one of the things that we forget is how how quickly you can assess the A and B part. Um, and if you know, and you can, you can get that out of the way pretty quickly. Um, when I teach and anybody that uh, happens to work for the Red Cross, please close your ears for a moment. Um, I go backwards with CAB, I do circulation uh, and then breathing. And then if they're not breathing, then I check the airway. Um, I, teach, I teach my students that because it makes more sense to me. It's closer to the March, to the March pro principle without, um, without confusing the situation. Yeah. And I, I'm preferable to that. The The Red Cross course that I had to sit through this year to recertify, I mean, 2019, they cover tourniquets in that there was a video of how to incorrectly apply a tourniquet. But mm -hmm. the whole massive hemorrhage thing, if nothing else works, then then use a tourniquet. It's like, no, no, you exsanguinate in 30 seconds from a major arterial bleed. If it's squirting, spurting, and bright red, it gets tourniquet. It's not, yeah. it's not the last thing you do. It's... If it needs well, a tourniquet, it's, one of the, it's a tourniquet right now. One of the one of the big challenges that uh, that we have when we're trying to when we're trying to develop you know, first aid first aid curricula is that um, the information the information goes from um, like the Council of Emergency Responders and Physicians, which may or may not have access to the military part, which then goes up to the like groups of people like St. John Ambulance and the Red Cross, the Heart and Stroke Foundation who get together uh, every every like two years to decide what to change. And then each, each organization takes another two years to change their program. And then it starts getting, it starts trickling out. So um, the most recent first aid books are still four-year-old information. And I mean, even back, you know, four or five, six years ago, we were saying like tourniquets are bad. You can, you'll, you, you're cutting off circulation. You can cause nerve damage. Um, whereas individuals like you and me can read or can read a study and, and understand that that's not necessarily true that you can put it, you can, you know, a, a, a tourniquet isn't damaging for, you know, multiple hours. Um, getting, 
getting it out to the masses in terms of change, updating a program is a, is a long process. Um, yeah. And so I mean, it's, gotta, it's better than it gotta, was, but they've got a long way to go. Well, they've got to put it in a, a way that's palatable for the, the least intelligent person in the course. Which is usually me, by the way, in my <laughs> courses. You know, so I mean, we, Just, we, we get that, yeah, you got to really, really, for lack of a better word, dumb it down so that, you know, the, the common person that's not going to nerd out about it, like the people on this panel may or may not, can understand it and effectively do something. And for the most part, yeah, in your everyday life, most people are not going to encounter traumatic bleeding. They're going to encounter some guy having a heart attack or something like that because we're all fat and overweight and, you know, it's hot and everything else. So the likelihood of what we're going to encounter in our day-to-day life in a city is that. So ABCs do address that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, there, again, there's nothing wrong with either one. I prefer the March yeah. protocol because it's easy to follow yeah. and it works for me. And it's more of the, yeah, it's easy to check this off. Is it squirting, spurting and bright red? No. Okay. It's not a major hemorrhage. Move yeah. on to the next thing. Well, yeah, because yeah. that's the thing. Like when, when, when there is, and you don't check for that first or address that first, the person is dead, and you're actively pumping blood out of their body. Which I mean, could be what you're after, but probably not. Yeah, <laughs> that's that. That is you know, um, contraindicated in this particular case. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, just you know, another because I'm, I, I don't know, I feel the need to defend the ABCs for the for the average layperson is that. Um, it's also a it's also a look a look and see not necessarily a priority for treatment it's a priority for assessment, um, and the circulation is is pretty quick. I mean you can find you can check if somebody you can do your airway and breathing in three to five seconds at the absolute worst, um, which seems like a, which doesn't seem like a long time until somebody's squirting blood. In which case, three to five seconds is a long time to not be fixing that. Yeah. So I, I don't. Yeah, I don't mind either way. I just don't like that it gets tacked on at the end that if, you know, if other things you're doing aren't working, then you can uh, add a tourniquet and deal with your massive hemorrhage. So March protocol is the way I set up all my my first aid kits and is the way that I would be treating anybody who I come across as a casualty. Remembering, of course, that I'm my very own first responder, so I'm treating me first before I'm treating anybody else. So dealing with massive hemorrhage, uh, that's going to be squirting, spurting, bright red, Obviously, if there are traumatic amputations, missing digits, you know, the arms on one side of the room and the body's on the other side of the room, it's very obvious when there's a massive hemorrhage. People only have so much blood in them, and it tends to get out of them very quickly, so you'll notice. Yeah. Yep. There's a couple of things to do. Um, if it's squirting, spurting, bright red, it gets a tourniquet. If it's junctional, there are devices for that, although they are, they are not typically found in IFAX. Uh, and then after that, pressure dressings, gauze, hemostatic agents, whatever you can do to control the hemorrhage pack the pack the junk pack, pack the junctions yep uh, Which includes uh, and there are junctional yeah. there are junctional tourniquets that is a thing um sam medical makes a, a very quality junctional tourniquet but it is very large and very expensive it's certainly not something i would expect to see in your average ifac no but if you've got lower back issues man when you put that thing on it feels awesome oh sure i mean way back in the day we had uh um, what do we call them? Mass pants, though. They were military anti-shock trousers, and they were basically a, a, a giant blood pressure cuff that you wrapped around each leg individually, then wrapped them together, and that would uh, that would stop circulation from the uh, from about your belly button down. That'll work. I don't work. know if those are yeah. still used, but they're uh, they were certainly uh, certainly an option at the time. 
I am sure there's a department somewhere that has some that. <laughs> yeah, and then the other the other thing of about those, I mean, one of the reasons that they didn't they stopped using those was because the, uh, um, the the trauma center didn't know how to do, didn't know how to do that, so they would start cutting them off, and all of a sudden you had the guy bleeding. They had you know who'd lost half their blood, and all of a sudden you've just you've just opened up the opened up the floodplains and. Um, at yeah. least they were in the hospital, but they, but then all of a sudden you were, you were dropping their blood pressure completely yeah. and instantly when they're not ready. Not, sorry. They're not good. Yeah. Not great. So, uh, after we deal with our massive hemorrhage, we deal with airway. Uh, the teacher method of doing this is from the book rapid and aggressive. Uh, mm-hmm. so think invasive things. You're probably <laughs> your average person's not doing that. Uh, as, as invasive as I get it with, uh, with an IFAC is going to be a nasal pharyngeal airway, uh, which is issued in a lot of IFACs to people that get them issued for their employment. Uh, they are not difficult to put in. It's a nose hose. It goes in your nose and it allows you to have a, a breathing adjunct. It can Yeah, confirm, it's basically two. It's, but, uh, it's, it, it, if you're awake, it sucks. It does. It sure does. Um, yeah. But uh, pro tip, guys, uh, OPAs suck worse. The oral, the oral airways are, are far worse than the nasals. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's and, a that's yeah. a long story for another for for another night. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so the one of the one of the big things about about a nasal pharyngeal airway is uh, don't you can't go in dry. It's going to get hung up on the on the mucous membranes, and it's it's going to be really unpleasant. They're also fairly flexible, so they're more likely to collapse on themselves if you uh, if you just try and cram it in. Yeah, I've also learned that my nose is slightly smaller than the average nose. Huh. So. And now you know. Yeah. Well, the nose knows. I guess when we go through these, I guess we could talk about the individual products. So if we uh, if we jump back up to if we finish airway and then jump back up to hemorrhage, that probably make uh, make some sense. So your your NPA, your standard size NPA is a twenty eight French. That's your normal North American adult male. Um, it is in fact not your Gavin. No, your your Gavin <laughs> has a slightly different size nose. So I don't know how you would get this sized, but I would. I would want people to figure out what size that they need to have because they do come in a variety of sizes and there are, there's sort of a guide of like what fits your average, like what fits in infants, what fits in small children, what fits in your average size women, what fits in your average size men. Uh, We sell the 28 French because it it covers, you know, 90% of your adult North Americans, but it doesn't cover everybody. Yeah, and I mean to to be fair, the that would fit in my nose if I was unconscious. But when I am, yeah, awake, if you stopped fighting it. But I mean, it was you know. very very uncomfortable. The so, snuggle struggle is real with Gavin. Yeah, a slightly <laughs> smaller one would have been nice. The uh, the the personal pack of KY jelly is important. Yes, not the fifty five gallon drums. Well, uh, a fifty-five <laughs> gallon drum will work, but you don't need that much lube to make this make this go. More lube is, of course, always better. Yeah, unless I've heard that before. That Twenty-eight French in my nose, then yes, you will need a <laughs> gallon drum. <laughs> uh, so we make sure that our our NPAs go out the door with lube, which is something that you'll you'll want to check as a consumer. Not everybody that sells NPAs sells them with lube. We we sell ours with um, with Surge lube. Uh, so it's it's medical grade sterile silicon silicon lubricant, I think. No, it might not be silicone. Water soluble, yeah. Yeah, it's not silicone. I take that back. It's uh, it's it's a medical grade. It's um, yeah, it's, it's sterile. sterile. It's a non, it's a three point five gram. Yeah, yeah, it's flavored. Again, be 
Be be warned about lube though. Is that it? Uh, it gets really hard in the winter. Um, keep it. Don't leave it in your. Uh, don't leave it in your car. It should travel inside with you. Yeah. Good point. So get the little get the little packet. We sell the little packets individually, or we sell them as part of the NPA. Um, an OPA and oral pharyngeal airway is something that you can get. Uh, it's definitely something you want a lot more training on. It's very da- very easy to damage the esophagus. Yep. So I for your for your untrained you know, first aid person, somebody who's taking your St. John's course, probably not going to go out and buy an OPA. Nope, don't do it. Uh, you can get you can get really wrong, and if you get it really wrong, it can go really badly um, up to the point where you're you're actually going going into the esophagus, not the trachea, and so you're not only making you're not only not getting air into them, but you're going to make them aspirate, as in like vomit on themselves, because you're filling their air, you're fill, filling their stomach full of air, of air, um, and eventually. Which- that all has to come back out and go somewhere. So, yeah, no. could be fun. Um, Some people are into it, that, but oh, it's yeah. probably not going to help you get them resuscitated. It's yeah, it's it's, it's not moving. It's, we're we're it's, it's deviating from our deviating from our, our forward direction. So, um, that's right. If yes. you don't have training on it, don't do it. If you want training on it, send me a message. The uh, the other thing with airway, uh, again, not in your standard issue IFAC that you'll see if you're an agency employee or get one for work but something that is strongly encouraged, people are dirty and I don't like doing mouth to mouth, but they do make um, breathing valve masks and they do make pocket masks. Those are both options for people who would like to isolate themselves from their casualty. How's, how's that? Is that a sterile way to explain it? Close yeah, enough. That works. Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't kiss can... on the first date is what that means. Yeah. Or you yeah. Can get if they're bleeding. If you're like me and you have like a crazy full trauma bag, you can get the one that hooks into the pump bag and, and do that. You, yeah, you, you can do that. Yeah, that works. Um, but you can also just get, I mean, a little foldable. I have yeah. one in my pocket, actually. It's about this size. Fits on your fits on your key ring. That, there's a CPR mask in there. Folds out, hooks on the ears, has a one-way valve so that you can um, you can safely put air in and not get vomited upon. Yeah, yep. I'm not, not getting vomited more. on. Yeah, I got the big one more so I can just go here. You do this. And yeah, I have I have that as well. That's in my it's yeah. in my car and in my in all my first aid kits. But I have this one in my yeah. pocket because I yeah. was well prepared for this one. I can show you that. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't I don't put my lips on people. No. Yeah, people are gross. I don't do yeah. um, oral resuscitation. No. Yeah. No. People, people are disgusting. We're, we're, I think we're all in agreement there. Don't put your mouth on somebody else's mouth unless you know who they are. Yeah. Yep. Even, well, then. even then. Yeah. <laughs> even then. Yeah. If they're bleeding, don't put your mouth on their mouth. <laughs> uh, should jump back up to the uh, the major hemorrhaging while we're on the topic of, uh, of yes. the gear that goes with solving the problem for the for your tourniquets. Uh, strongly recommend the current Gen Cat, the combat application tourniquet. I believe we're on Gen Seven. Or the uh, the soft T wide. The Gen threes are still in production, and I believe Gen fours are widely available at this point. There's no significant changes between the generations. It's just usually better on material or manufacturing or QA processes. There are ways to tell them all apart, but I mean, just buy whatever is the currently in stock one. It was probably the latest. Make sure you're buying the real deal ones. Don't go on Amazon. The ones that they sell on Amazon are not real. I know this because the manufa- the distributor and the manufacturer won't let you sell them on Amazon. Please stop yeah. buying them there. Um, the, the ones the ones you get on Amazon are fine for training. Um, just be yeah. prepared that you're gonna break yeah. you're gonna break them. So as you're long as you're only them. using it for training, it's okay. Um, 
I, it's, it's definitely not something to rely on in uh, in the real world. Yeah, there, nope. there it's, a, it's an airsoft prop or a toy, what have you. It's it, you, if you want it to look like a tourniquet, it looks like a tourniquet. If you want to practice on it, you can practice on it till it breaks. They're yep. relatively inexpensive, but I mean that's the thing is they they will fail. They are not. They are not. They're, they're not. They're not designed equipment. to stop bleeding. Yep. No, I mean, and granted, like I we we buy them for our first aid classes because they're going to break. You know, you yeah. a tourniquet is pretty much a disposable thing. You're going to use it once, and you get a second use out of it. You're pretty gross because there's a lot of blood in there. Um, yeah. Don't. Use so them for yeah. for um, because we know they're going to break, we buy the cheap ones um, for our classes and. You know, I've got a training one that I carry around with me that has been used probably 10 or 15 times, even on my arms. And they, you know, it still does its job, but I can feel it. Like I can feel the windlass like bending as I, as I turn and yeah, but um, I've broken more than one in, in training. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's a few other different flavors of tournament market with varying degrees of quality and effectiveness. Um, I mean, you know, not not to name names, but I will. You know, like the rats tourniquet and the the SWAT tourniquet are other popular things that are out there that, in my opinion, are not that great to use. If I didn't have anything else, I would use it. But if you're going to go and buy something new, the Catter Softy is, yeah, the Sam Medical one also good, but Cat and Softy are, I'd say. The more popular ones, and my personal favorite is the cat. I find it easier. Yeah, I just I'm, go by just go by the real ones. Yeah, yeah. by the real one. Um, I like the cat. It's easy to set it up for either self aid or buddy aid. You can you can effectively stage it for one handed use, which is again how all of mine are staged because you are your own first responder. Yep, and ultimately you get what you pay for, right? Yeah, well, you do. Yep. So, uh, cat. Solid, uh, the soft tea, the special operations force tourniquet wide. I think it's the S O F T T W. Um, it's a North American rescue product, uh, also quality product. Uh, it's made out of aluminum instead of plastic components. Bear that in mind. It's Canada. Aluminum gets cold in the winter. It acts as a heat sink that may or may not be a pro or con for you. It is incredibly well built. It's also a little bit heavier and harder to apply to children. Yeah. Uh, and then Gavin mentioned it, the Sam uh, Sam Medical Sam XT tourniquets recently made the list. Um, good luck finding those as an individual sale. I'm working on trying to fix that. Uh, the Sam stuff just got approved. So the people to refer to is the, the Council on Tactical Combat Casualty Care. They release a guide of their tourniquets that meet their approval standards or their, their criteria. Go with what those people say. They are... They are doctors and surgeons and military medics and people who study this stuff as a profession. Do, use the tools that they say you should be using if you're doing anything, you know, with a march algorithm or TCCC or any of that. The, the, the Council on Tactical Combat Casualty Care is the authority on how to do this stuff. So if the tourniquet's on their approved list, you're good to go. There are other lesser brands that Gavin mentioned that it would probably work for most people in most cases, but for the difference of a couple of bucks, I wouldn't bet my life on it. Mm-hmm. And let's uh, talk. Others... Sorry, what's that? 
Let's talk hemostatic dressings while we're on the topic of major hemorrhage. Yeah, yeah. hemostatics. Um, there's basically two flavors, Celox and Quick Clot. Those are pretty much your only games in town. Uh, doesn't really matter which flavor you have. Uh, in general, you're going to look at it. It's an impregnated sterile gauze, uh, and it's impregnated with different materials depending on the brand. Celox uses an inert um, mineral base. No, pardon me. Celox uses a crushed up, uh, crushed up crustacean base, where Quick Clot uses an inert uh, mineral agent. Yeah, so if so, you're allergic to seafood, don't use the one with crushed up animals. Yeah, the Celox may adversely impact some people. It's a very, very low percent chance risk, even if you do have like a shellfish allergy. But a, there have been cases where people may have had adverse reactions to the uh, to the clotting agent. But those people were also having adverse reactions to being shot. So you pick your flavor. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I like the Celox over the Quick Clot in general. Um, it's a cleaner package. It is a little bit bigger on average. Uh, the Quick Clot does come in a bunch of flavors. So does the Celox. Uh, as, as with most things, more is usually better. Get the larger packages. They usually like cost per unit to go from like a five foot to a ten foot package is usually only a few dollars more. So when you're talking about like a the, the jump between like a forty five dollar item and a fifty dollar item, and you're doubling your usable material. Uh, I would I would recommend avoiding the granules, which is the the powdered stuff that used to be issued. So that was like the the U.S. Army. I don't even think that's available anymore. Uh, we still have access to, and I have had people that have asked for the granules. We can get it um, at least from Celox. I'm not I have not seen Quick Clot granules in quite a while, but we can still get Celox granules. Um, we can also get the Celox uh, injector. Uh, looks like a what you put on a hypodermic needle with a plunger and push down on. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's like great stuff foam, but for packing wounds, again, uh, not recommended, but we, we can get it and people do occasionally ask for it and we will bring it in for them, but it's just difficult to work with. It's the same kind of problem as the, the granules and the, the foam stuff all have the same issue. It's getting it into the wound, getting it in deep enough and getting it to be effective to stop bleeding. Generally, the hemostatic agent is something you're going to put inside so, of somebody's body. And just to just to expand, because I, I remember kind of nodding along the first time I heard hemostatic agent. So hemostatic agent is a is an external blood clotter for anybody that's that's listening outside. Um, and so it's a it's a chemical or a, or a compound, um, whether it's mineral or or crustacean based, and its its goal is to help your body's natural um your body's natural clotting factors so the the the, the parts of the, the compounds in your blood that stop the bleeding uh, its job is to speed that process up and so uh with these dressings the idea is that you're going to pack that you're going to pack that wound you're going to literally put your fingers inside the person's gaping wounds pack it tight and then the hemostatic uh, <laughs> Uh, there's there's no way to say that without without it being gross, um, but you're gonna you're gonna get right in there and right up right up close and comfortable. And um, while the gauze is is helping to to keep the blood in the body, the hemostatic agent is helping the clotting process um, as quickly as it can. So um, just a little bit of background around that on that term, and that's why and that's a hemostatic hemostatic compound. So yeah, so without 
that with direct pressure, the traditional way of doing this, if you took regular gauze and applied direct pressure onto a wound, you're going to have botting that's going to take place on its own, usually between seven and 10 minutes, depending on the person. There are hemophiliacs and other people that clotting doesn't happen as quickly, but in, in on the average, you're looking at about 10 minutes to get clotting to start uh, with a hemostatic uh, compound like regular cellox or quick clot, you're looking at about three minutes uh, with direct pressure. And cellox makes a product that they call cellox rapid, and you're looking at clotting starting in about sixty seconds. So that's good. Still, still need the direct pressure, but I mean, you're you're vastly speeding up the clotting process. And the faster that you get the clotting to happen, the less blood escapes from the body, and the more likely you are to survive whatever that traumatic injury is. Uh, blood, blood loss is generally considered a bad thing. You want to keep the bright red stuff on the inside. Yeah, so if well, you are blood... ever using direct pressure with or without a hemostatic agent, don't don't lift up to check and see if it's clotting and still bleeding. Just No, just keep, assume it's still bleeding. Just keep holding keep, down. Keep the pressure. Do not let go. Even okay. better is to get the person that's bleeding to, to hold on their own thing, and then you can address other things. But once you start applying pressure, you don't stop applying pressure. Yeah, leave it on, tie it up, whatever you gotta do, but keep keep the pressure up. Um, and yeah, never never take off the bottom layer. So if it bleeds through, add another one on top. Uh, if it bleeds through, by the way, uh, and you haven't applied a tourniquet, now's probably a good time. Yeah. Um, but if uh, if it bleeds through, you leave, you leave the leave the the, the dressing touching the skin because it's like the 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 blood that's in there is gonna help with the clotting. Um, but that's why hemostatic dressing is is a good is a really good idea. Yeah, um, and why you're better to get it's, the it's, foot length instead of the five foot length because more yep, is always exactly. Yeah, more yeah, is better. In the, in, there are there are a few times in this in this world where less is more, but it, this is one of those cases where more is more and more is better, and it's just do it. just get the right stuff. Yeah. On the uh, on the topic of removing items. Uh, with a tourniquet, if you were to apply a tourniquet and the tourniquet does not work and the, the bleeding does not stop or the bleeding starts again, apply another tourniquet. The solution yeah. is just add more tourniquet. Yeah, don't take the old one off. Just apply the next one. Just on apply top. another one. Yeah. And you're going to work your way in towards the heart because tourniquets go on extremities. So the, you know, your arm, as an example, apply it higher up into their shoulder, into their armpit, get as close into the torso as you can and crank another one down and see if that stops bleeding. The same is true with wound packing if you're doing junctional wounds. Um, so a junction would be something like inside of your inside of your shoulder, uh, inside of your groin, something where you can't apply a tourniquet effectively because there's nothing to tie it down on. Um, packing the wound, same thing, apply the dressing, apply direct pressure. If it bleeds through, apply more hemostatic agent or sterile gauze or non-sterile gauze or more direct pressure and keep adding those things. Uh, eventually, they'll either run out of blood or they'll start clotting. Yeah. Hopefully, they start clotting first, but... Yeah. That'd be ideal. The sooner you act, the better the better chances of that happening. Yep. Uh, should, deal with, uh, should deal with respiration, I suppose, That's if yep. we get back into our order. So we've got our massive hemorrhage. We talked about our airway and our our adjuncts for how we're going to deal with airways, uh, respiration. So this is, this is breathing. We want to make sure they're doing that. We also want to make sure they don't have tension pneumothorax. So any kind of penetrating trauma in the chest can cause damage to the lungs. Tension pneumothorax is life's way of telling you that it might be time to slow down. 
<laughs> in very, in very, very specific terms, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the actual like tension pneumothorax is a thing that you'll. I mean, listeners will probably have seen it in movies. Somebody grabs a a ballpoint pen or a hypodermic needle and jam like jams it into somebody's chest, and you hear the rush of air and they gasp, and all of a sudden they're fine. That's yeah. not that different in real Close. life. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so, significantly yeah, it's, different. Yeah, you, you're better. Than <laughs> it's just—it's like, not quite a pen. Yeah, you can do—you yeah. can do less damage and have the same effect. The yeah. dramatic music's um, probably not playing either. Depends on where you hang out. Phone. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Just in case. Oh yeah, that's why I have Spotify on my phone. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> for doing C- for doing CPR and having dramatic music when I'm uh, when I'm when I'm saving a life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so tension pneumothorax again for for those who are who are outside the the training realm. Um, that's what happens when you've got a puncture in your lung and air is filling the space between your lung and your chest wall. Um, this is a bad thing because it means that your lung is no longer able to suck in air, which means that you're no longer getting effective oxygenation of your blood, which means you are no longer getting effective circulation. Um, you can relieve that pneumothorax by, um, by giving the air that gets into that space a place to go. Um, one option to do that is jab a pen, jab a pen in the side, but please don't do that. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch in movies, but it only it's, works it's in Die how, Hard. Don't, don't do it in real yeah, life. Yeah. Like it's you, not, you're not, it's not a real Willis. thing. As much as I've tried to be, and man, I've tried to be over the years. I am not Bruce Willis. Um, I do always have a Zippo and every time I light it, I say yippee in the hopes that somebody will pay attention. It has never once happened. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting um, to get his hairstyle, but that's, <laughs> um, but like a proper needle decompression, again, there are there's there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. The good news is the wrong way is really not all that wrong. Um, but decompression is actually given that 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 air in the wrong space a place to go, which allows the which allows the, the lung to expand. Um, once again, if you um, if you have any intention of ever doing that, you need the proper equipment and you need the proper training. Yeah. So on the. Uh... On the what to do if you don't have that. My, my first thing is obviously if they're not breathing or they're not breathing effectively, you need to solve that problem first. So that's your, mm-hmm. you know, your ABCs, do your rescue breaths, get your pocket mask out, get your breathing valve mask, your BVM tool and apply air into the casualty. If they're breathing on their own, you're okay. And if they've developed tension pneumothorax because of penetrating chest trauma, then you have to solve that problem. And I would, in general, for your average first responder, I would actually recommend that you don't do the invasive thing if you can do the less invasive thing, which would be put a chest seal. Always on. use the least invasive. Always use the least invasive method possible. Yep. Yeah. Right. So you're you probably, if you're listening to this, you probably live in Canada. You probably live in an urban center or near one, or you have access to an ambulance. Sorry for that one guy in northern Alberta that listens. <laughs> He's going to have to come up with a better solution. For everybody that lives in an urban center. You just want to put a chest seal on it. You're going to stop it from getting any worse. They're not going to die. The paramedics will get there, and then it's their problem. Yes. Uh, the goal here is basically to hand off to a higher level care as fast as possible. So as long as you can keep them from dying in the five minutes that it takes the ambulance to get there, you're good. Yep. So yeah. Um, so so and- chest seal on front and back, and then you may even prevent other problems from happening. Absolutely. And you may not need and so it. again, for, for those who are new, go ahead, Gavin, sorry. 
Yeah, no, you, you, you may not even need to do a decompression needle or anything. If you, if you get that on fast enough, um, they, they could be totally fine for the, you know, what little time it will take for the ambulance to show up or even a longer time because that's effectively sort of stopped that, that air from getting sucked in and gives the air that is inside a place to, to exit. So, so yeah, a chest seal for those, again, who are new, um, it used to be the Asherman was the, was the only game on, on the market, but I'm sure there are more now. Um, it's essentially a disc with really, really sticky stuff in it, a hole up the middle of the disc that goes directly over the wound, and a one-way valve, which was, for lack of a better description, a medical glove thing, uh, cut at both ends. So that air could go out, but anytime it tried to suck in, it, that valve would close on itself and it wouldn't allow any air in. Um, a, not a bad thing to have on hand with that is duct tape as well. I have heard many people tell tales of uh, the chest still failing. There's a lot of uh, sweat, blood, grime, whatever on the chest. Um, so a, 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 a secondary uh, attachment of uh, duct tape will help uh, help ex uh, occlude air there. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's kind of the goal with a chest seal. Uh, the Ashman's used to be popular. Uh, the Fox seals are popular now. There's also the Halo chest seal is pretty popular. Uh, just check to see if it's a one-pack or a two-pack, because generally what goes in must come out. So if you get through and through traumatic trauma to the, to the torso, you want one for the front and one for the back, or the left side and the right side, or what have you, depending on the, the method of injury. But you probably want to have two of these, one for each hole or more. Uh, the IFAC, again, looking at what the military issues, looking at what your average police agency is going to issue, you probably get in a two-pack of either Asher, or two Ashermans or like a Fox Seal that comes as a two-pack. Okay. There, uh, there are two different styles, though. There is the occlusive and the non-occlusive. Um, occlusive doesn't have any kind of venting or one-way valve, and and the, the non-occlusive does. So it has some way of allowing the air that's inside the body that shouldn't be a method of escaping. You can and also both do have, the... Uh, go ahead. They both have their use. Um, I would say that the non-occlusive is... Uh, or sorry, that the occlusive um, is best paired with a decompression kit. Um, if you don't have an access to a needle decompression kit, or that's not part of your part of your training or your uh, your your scope of care, then go with the non-occlusive so that you've got something. Air's got somewhere to go. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing, even if you do have the occlusive, you can always burp it manually. Uh, so you do the cool. I think maybe it's Black Hawk down. You pull off in the corner. You let the air out when they breathe out. You put it back down. And you're manually acting as a valve. That yeah. can be done, but then that means you you are stuck with that person. You can't do anything else. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is this is kind of the once you start rendering first aid, you're stuck with them anyway. You may yeah, as well the, get comfortable. The, the newer ones seem to be not so bad and don't need that as much. They don't get clogged up as badly as say the old method of like duct tape on three sides of a credit card. <laughs> Man, back back in the day, that's how we taught it. You used used uh, we used uh, two inch uh, two inch cloth medical tape with a with a plastic baggie. Yeah, uh, th those leave I one corner that open. That was uh, that was how I was taught back twenty five years ago. Because they probably stuck to the wound more. Yep. Yeah, but the newer ones, I mean, the the blood absolutely thought that there's a whole lot of blood usually in a a chest injury compared to other parts of the body. So you should be fine, but yeah. 
the more you uh, if you if you do decide that you want the needle decompression kit, get the appropriate training. Uh, North American Rescue makes an air release system, which is a self-contained kit. Comes in a couple of different sizes, uh, needle gauges, and lengths. Uh, you want to know how to landmark, and you want to know how to use that properly. If you're not buying it as a skilled kit from a reputable supplier, you're probably a medical professional, and you don't need my advice on how to use a hypodermic needle to solve this problem. <laughs> yeah. Or a pen. Or a pen. <laughs> or a pen. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep I keep playing with my little uh, with my little zebra two one there. This is uh, it's a nice steel pen, and um, I would uh, um, I would really hate to have to jab that in somebody's uh, in somebody's chest. Please don't. Well, there, there's new stainless steel reusable drinking straws. Those will work really well. Ah, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have no. Uh, um, there's gonna be there's gonna be no pressure left there at all because you've got. That, that's a that's a big hole coming out of your body. It's environmentally yeah. friendly, though. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's good. <laughs> you can you can recycle the person when they're done too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fertilize the ground. The whales are saved. Everything's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so we get, circulation we get down eh? towards the end of the yeah the end of the March protocol. We get down to circulation and then H whatever it stands for in your particular implementation of the March protocol. Circulation you basically deal with the same way that you would deal with in any other situation put them in a recovery position where they're not able to hurt themselves further and make sure the blood is flowing inside of their body the way that it's supposed to be. So if they have a head injury, lay them down flat. If they're bleeding out of a limb, elevate the limb. In general, if anybody, if somebody's lost a, f a fair amount of blood, then keeping, keeping their feet elevated a few inches off the ground, uh, like a few inches above the heart level is not a bad idea. Uh, we can go a really long time with our feet tingly without much, um, without much adverse effect. But if, uh, if your brain doesn't get enough oxygen, then you're in real trouble and you end up as a, ah, never mind. That's, that's the wrong podcast. <laughs> The, wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, the other thing to bear in mind with this is maintaining body temperatures and preventing shock, which is part of the next H. So if you have an appropriate blanket or if it's hot outside and you need to cool your casualty or what have you, maintaining the appropriate body temperature, this is a good way to do it because of the whole circulation thing. It tends to even itself out because the blood flows around on the inside. So ice packs in under the armpits and the groin or blankets over top of the torso, like keeping the core temperature where the core temperature is supposed to be. The extremities don't matter near as much. The exception, of course, being the brain. There's some important things that have to happen around your head. But generally, if you regulate the core temperature, you're okay. And again, scope of practice, scope of care. If you think you should be doing fluid resuscitation, you probably know what you're doing. If you don't think you should be doing fluid resuscitation, you definitely shouldn't be. Yeah. One thing though, and, uh, and if though with, with keeping people warm, if, if they've lost a lot of blood, they probably don't have a whole lot of blood moving around to help keep them warm. So those hand warmers, chuck a couple under the armpits and the groin on either side of their neck. Same with the, the cooling things if they're, they're overheating because of heat exhaustion. Those are the areas you want to hit as well because it acts like a radiator and cools it off or heats it up. Yep. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, of uh, medical evidence that says that delivering whole blood pre-hospital is, is a really good plan. Um, I am in no way qualified to discuss that, um, but it, it goes. It stands to reason that the more the faster you lose blood, the faster you need it. You need to put it back. Um, 
general rule, don't give it, don't give somebody anything to drink. If they're badly hurt, if they've lost a lot of blood, they're probably going into surgery. They can't have anything in their stomachs. So um, just, you know, we think we talk about fluid resuscitation, make sure that people stay hydrated and that's all well and good, but um, don't, don't give somebody, don't give anybody anything to drink. It's not, uh, it's not going to work fast enough to make a difference before they get to the hospital. Yep. Yeah. Just wait till you can hand them off to that higher level of care. Unless you're yeah. that higher level of care and you happen to be in the, the big the big box with the flashy lights and the, the whole blood products. In, in, which case, in which case, thank you for being there. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. The ground is hard and my knees are sore. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, dealing with the, the H. Um, H could stand for a couple of different things depending on which way people got taught the March protocol. It's likely either going to be head injury or hypothermia and shock. Could be both. May as well address all of that now. There's nothing in your just IFAC do- really to, to, to deal with this. It's just sort of the bottom of the list. Once you've dealt with all of the things that can kill them, then trying to keep them from getting any worse, that's what you're going to yeah. do. Keep them from going into shock. Keep them from going into hypothermia. Again, this whole circulation core temperature thing yeah. and addressing any head injuries because nobody wants that. Yeah. Keep them so warm head, and dry and comfortable as possible. Yeah, head injuries. Head injuries suck. Um, even uh, even minor head injuries can have really long lasting effects. Uh, one of the weird things, and I don't know why. I don't know the the science behind this, but one of the weird things is that when people have head injuries, especially um, uh, multiple concussions, they tend to lose their sense of smell. Um, that's just kind of one of those fun facts. Um, with head injuries, uh, if you if you've done everything else in March, protocol and they're um um they're no longer they're no longer in danger of dying and you have an opportunity to do a real a real assessment uh start at the head and look for look for battle signs so bruising under the eyes and behind the ears and um definitely fluid leaking out of the ears is bad and clear fluid coming out of the nose is also bad um so those are all those are all signs of head injuries that clear fluid is csf or cerebral spinal fluid um it's another closed system and it's a really bad thing to the hole in that so um somebody suspect a head injury unless proven otherwise is, is a good like first like first aid i don't know what i'm doing and i'm at the side of the road and somebody's been hit by a car assume somebody has a head injury until proven otherwise so Keep them the, very uh, still Absolutely. The, the whole reason for why I wanted to cover the March protocol is really this is, in my opinion, how you ought to be dealing with your improved first aid kit. Because if you can deal with March, you can deal with 90% of the trauma that you're going to encounter. Absolutely. So the, the, the massive hemorrhage, the airway, the respiration, that is all that is all cool guy kit that you get to buy. So when you get the chance to be Batman, you can be Batman. And then CNH, you now have knowledge. You can deal with those things appropriately. Um, and I honestly missed it if you said it. And if you did, while we were talking about circulation, I apologize that I'm going back over this. But um, after you've dealt with the massive hemorrhage, you've dealt with all the other stuff, minor bleeding, that's that's where you, you lump that in is, with, is within circulation. Plug any smaller leaks as well. So no yeah, you know dying, I, think but... I, I think I did miss that, but... Yes, absolutely. That's the time to deal with it. And that's your normal first aid, you know, babysitter first aid from the Red Cross. Put a, put a Band-Aid on it, put a piece of sterile gauze on it, put it in a triangular bandage, put a little bow on yeah. it. Yeah, if, if the arm is ripped off on one side, deal with that first. And then if they've got a cut on the other side, yeah, do that after. 
Don't just leave it. Yeah. So that's yeah. So it's yeah. Don't just don't just leave it, but but put it, put it down there with the circulation. Um, and that's you know if you've if you've plugged the uh, if you've plugged the leak um, and their heart's not beating on its own, that's a good time to start compressions as well. Yeah. Yep. But that's again situation situational, and if you have the um, the opportunity to do so uh, without putting yourself in harm's way, then that's a good time to do it. Otherwise, move on. Yeah. So um, I guess one thing I mean with we we've. Luckily, I haven't, but my my search and rescue group has come across this a couple of times, and I know you know other first responders and everything do. And if you do happen to to come across somebody that is injured, you know, unconscious, and everything else, um, when you're doing your your rapid assessment, you know you there's a chance that you may come across some sort of a weapon, a, a stabby thing or a shooty thing. Uh, so. At that point, if that happens, you 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 need to look out for your own safety. So yep. that well, rescue rescuer safety is always number one. If yep. the rescuer get hurt, who's coming to help? Yeah. So you know, you use your own discretion and decide what you want to do if you're ever in that situation. And you know, if that's letting that person bleed out, then then do so. Um, but you know, just be aware that you know these are things that may happen if you especially come upon somebody that's been in a traumatic incident in Toronto or other major cities. Chances are it's gang related, and that person is also in a rival gang. So you know, beware. Yep. And that's that's assuming you've got a that's that's you know it comes that comes back to your scene safety right keep your head on a swivel. Um, I mean we we talk a lot about and like where this where this whole concept of an iPad came from is is in terms of combat and shootings and um, you know um, really um, assaultive trauma. But um, that also applies if you're on a construction site, right? If, Absolutely. If that person oh, yeah. got hurt and and, and I, I you know construction. Act- our, our injuries are far more common than shootings, thankfully. Absolutely. Um, but um, if you're if, if that if that scene isn't safe, right? If that thing that caused that problem is still a danger, then probably don't go near it. Yeah. It's, uh, so it's just you know another kind of one of those things to pay attention to, right? Just stay away from the stuff that's gonna that caused the problem. Well, and you you may need to to tailor your IFAC to. You know, include all of those things that we've talked about because those are the, the major things. But, you know, if you happen to work around a particular chemical or around electricity or have a particular hazard that is likely to cause an injury, you may need to add or supplement the stuff in your kit to to address that. Absolutely. Yep, for sure. Talk How about we move into uh, where you can keep your IFAC? Yeah, um, everywhere. I think this is there should, there should never be more than three yeah. steps from. Well, this is building on what Gavin says. Which IFAC is the? Yeah. <laughs> Good point. One is none. Yep. Two is one. One is none. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I have I have one in my car. I have one in my backpack that lives in my car, so it kind of goes with me everywhere. Um, I have a larger first aid kit at home that has you know the tourniquet right on top. Um, there's one in you know there's one in every vehicle. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if you're, uh, if you're any kind of first responder, you have a responsibility to keep one kind of within reach at all times. Um, I'm trying to convince the people that I work with that, uh, 
every one of our members should be issued with one that stays on their gear with them so that should something happen while they're waiting for the while they're waiting for the rescue team then that person can be helping themselves or helping their um, helping their buddy to not die absolutely i mean yep. uh, when when i when i'm you know out and about i usually have at least the absolute bare minimums as far as i'm concerned either in my pockets in my coat in the winter time cuz that's easier or I've got it strapped around my ankle in a very low-profile holstery type thing that I've got gloves, I've got gauze, and I've got a tourniquet, which to me are like the absolute bare essentials. You yeah, know, I'd, so, I'd agree with that. Yep. You know, it's, it's yeah. super low-profile, it's, it's non-metallic, so if I do go somewhere that has a metal detector, I don't have to take it off and nobody sees it, so it doesn't become a thing and everyone freaks out because you've got medical stuff. Yep. It's just, it's there and it's just part of my everyday life and I don't even think about it anymore. You know, or if I've got a backpack, I throw it in there and then, you know, the, the trunk of the car, as we've talked about, you know, many times has the, the full trauma bag and everything, but it, it should always be on you and, and preferably, yeah, like you said, really, really close at hand and but really it should be in the diver's triangle if you want to get like super specific about it, which means that it should mm-hmm. be able to be reached front or back of your body with either hand. That's, That's a neat trick. Yep. <laughs> Agreed. So basically, it, it, the diver's triangle is like anywhere, like either shoulder down to your groin in a, in a triangle, because then you can reach it, you know, wherever it is with, with either hand in case, you know, your left arm gets blown off, you can reach it with your right or vice versa. No, that's good. Yeah, it's no good to you if you can't reach it or, or get access to it, right? Yeah, because I mean, there's a lot of yep. people that'll put it, you know, in a weird spot, and then it's like, oh well. Yep. Now what? And if you're with if you're with a group of people, um, say you're out camping or hiking or storming a compound or something, um, yeah, maybe discuss amongst your group. Coming up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like maybe discuss amongst your group where you're all going to keep it, so that you're all keeping it in the same spot, and that way I don't have to look for an error on your ankle and uh, and Eric's back pocket and yeah. and it's tucked under Andrew's hat or something, right? If yeah. if you're if you're with a group of people, keep keep it all in the same place so that everybody knows where to look for it. And if you are with a group of people, use their kit on them so that your kit's still available. Yep. Yeah, certainly. Uh, so I actually before I got. Uh, before I got on tonight, I actually went and pulled a bunch of the IFAX. Not the not the trauma kit or the house first aid kit that has the Hello Kitty bandages and all the other stuff. But I went and I grabbed all of the IFAX that I could find around the, the property today. And I have I have five IFAX sitting in front of me. And I thought oh, this would be a good opportunity to go through and figure out where they all live and make sure they're all up to date, make sure they're all good. And uh, they're actually all laid out the same way because sometimes the compulsive, the compulsive disorder is real. <laughs> but you can call it compulsive disorder, but I, I just call that good planning. I mean, um, we stand, standardize, 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 right? If you don't, it's better to be looking at it than looking for it and assorted cliches. But if you don't have to think about where it is because every one of them is laid out the same, then you're saving yourself seconds of digging and seconds yeah. count. So I went through and on all of my shooting kits, my various uh, competitive gear. I have the same first aid kit, although in slightly different spots, whether it's a chest rig or a, on my belt. And if it's on a belt, it's in the same spot on all of the belts. Cause I have a couple, 
Um, both car first aid kits ride on the headrest. Um, 511 UCR pouches are awesome. Uh, and both of the UCR kits are set up for multiple casualties. I can, I can deal with several traumatic amputations per kit. And then uh, my work kit, again, is set up differently because I travel with that one and it goes through secure environments and metal detectors and other things. So it doesn't have like an air release needle um, because that's a thing that people get upset about. Yeah, but even then, I mean, as uh, anyone that, that follows us on the Facebook has seen the video, I, I traveled through security recently with my full-on trauma kit that had everything. And no issues. I know. I just don't oh. like taking out a sealed but, sterile unit and trying to explain to them that, yes, this is in fact a hypodermic needle, and no, I'm not opening the case. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, I usually travel with a little slightly lower profile than that, but if, if you want to spend an extra half an hour in security, you you can do so, and everything will be fine. So last would... last time I flew, my first aid kit got my first aid kit got uh, uh, flagged by security, and um, the way I put it to them was that I frankly don't trust the the, the, the first aid kit on the plane, and because I don't know where things are, um, when it comes time to save a life, I'm going to go for my gear because I know what it is, I know where it is, I know how it works. I, um, I was fully prepared to answer all kinds of questions on this and I didn't have to answer a single one. So I think it's becoming more common, which is a good thing. Yeah, is that, good. that is a good thing. Yeah. I okay. So how do we build a, How do we build an IFAC? <laughs> well, you're going to go to ragnaroktactical.ca. You're going to enter the discount code Patriot. You're going to save yourself 10% at checkout and you're going to buy one of everything or at least one of everything you can afford. Seven yeah. of everything. I like it. Section done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so it, it really depends. Um, looking back at the way that the U.S. Army did this, uh, the, the original IFAC, the Iraq Invasion 03 IFAC tourniquet, elastic bandage kit, which is essentially American for field dressing, uh, a specific type of band-aid uh, bandage. Uh, it's, a, it's a four and a half inch bandage that they were issuing. Surgical adhesive tape, nasal pharyngeal airway kit. Kit means comes with lube. Four surgical gloves, all left-handed, and one combat gauze <laughs> resting. <laughs> I just realized so I have I mean, this here. So that's here your, is for those who are watching. Has nice big long tails. Really super absorbent. The package is waterproof on the inside. And so you can actually cut that open and use it to, to, to occlude, uh, occlude moisture if you're in foul weather. Doesn't take up a lot of space. It's pretty small. Easy to keep, easy to keep on hand. This particular so one's I, army issue, but... I, I do like the army issued one, especially when they get that weird brown color on the packaging. <laughs> oh, yeah. It used to be OD <laughs> green, but it kind of isn't. Yeah. yeah. They're still good, though. I mean, it's a sealed unit. As long as it's still sealed, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe it's past the expiration date, but if it's still sealed, it's still good. It's, yep. it's gauze. It doesn't expire. Like, it's... Oh, definitely so, doesn't expire. Yep. Yeah. At a minimum, uh, for your IFAC, you're going to want to have a tourniquet and some sort of a dressing. This is going to deal with your massive hemorrhage. If you get into a non-cardiac casualty, somebody who didn't have a heart attack, uh, something like 85% of the time is going to, the reason for uh, death is going to be massive hemorrhage, blood loss. And then the lesser things, I think airway is going to be like 10% and then there's something else that causes like 5% of all deaths when you're not, when you exclude cardiac events. 
right? So like, as long as they didn't have a heart attack, if it's something else, it's probably that they're going to bleed. So yep. deal, deal with the thing that is most likely yeah, to happen. Get the, get the tourniquet, get the pressure dressing, and then expand from there and deal with the other less likely life-threatening injuries. You, you can't keep somebody, you can't keep somebody's brain going if they don't have any blood left. Plain yep. and simple. You, so, you might be doing the best CPR in the world and the best CPR can actually wake somebody up and they can move on their own. But if they don't have any blood left, it doesn't help anything. Yep. So definitely start with a tourniquet and some kind of a dressing, whether that's a pressure dressing, like an Israeli dressing, uh, the Israeli emergency bandage or an oleus, or if that's your, you know, your 20 year old yeah. army, Elastic yeah. bandage kit, an H bandage, or a combination of jamming gauze in there and wrapping a, an ACE bandage or a tensor bandage around it. Yep. I mean, even gauze and duct tape, like you know, like Ro- rolls of like rolls of uh, compression gauze, like the uh, like the um, rolled gauze, the the stretchy stuff, will pack a wound pretty well. Like one roll doesn't take up any space, doesn't weigh anything. Um, about 20 feet long you can get you can cram a lot of gauze you need to cram a lot of gauze into a into a, a major wound whether it's a gunshot or a stab wound or a cotton piece machinery wound whatever it is um, those rolls they're yeah. they are significant in two or three of those will help uh, will, will yeah. go a long way and and that's actually what so, in my my little ankle holster thingy that that's what I have is three rolls of that I used to have a, a four inches really bandage but I gave that away to somebody that didn't have one. And I had a bunch of packages of rolled gauze because I used those to teach the stop the bleed class that weren't used. So I just tucked those in there until I get a chance to replace the Israeli bandage. But yeah, three rolls of that, a pair of gloves and a tourniquet. Like if, if, if you don't carry anything else, those three things will go a long way. Mm-hmm. So once you've got the basics, more, well, more is better. And I want to, I want to talk about the more, once you've got the, the bare minimums, that tourniquet and some kind of dressing, preferably pressure dressing, yeah. uh, start and, and adding gloves. the additional things. I mean, on top of that, then I would say then goes a chest seal. Yep. Uh, I wouldn't even, I don't even know if that's, I mean, that's probably a good point to deal with it. That's uh, the additional stuff is like, in my mind, that's when you start dealing with airway things. So yeah. Whether that's a pocket mask or whether it's a chest seal or whether it's both or whether that's uh, upgrading and getting hemostatic dressing because that's that's gauze that costs more but also works better. Mm-hmm. So getting getting those items, mm-hmm. adding a set of medical shears so that you can actually get into a wound to work on it because there's nothing like, you know, a pair of jeans that are in your way. Somebody falls off their motorcycle and now oh, how yeah. do you get to all of this abrasion and bleeding and skin tight skinny jeans yeah, yeah so yep. a, pair, a good pair of medical shears uh, a couple of pairs of good gloves yeah uh, not black get, not, not black um i i'm a big fan of the bear claw gloves from north american rescue they're uh, they're tan colored and they're they come in four different sizes five different sizes yeah i, I i'm not yep. a I, a, a glove autiste, if you will. So I, I don't care as long as they're not black. But I do do find that the blue and the purple ones really show blood well. But as long as they aren't black, it, you will see that it's blood. And then, of course, Gavin's favorite gauze. I always add more gauze, sterile or non-sterile. 
more, more gauze is always better. Yeah. It's cheap. And There's no plentiful. such thing as too much gauze. There yeah. really isn't. It's it's like um, ammo. There's no such thing as too much. Yeah, no, certainly not. And you can um, you can get a lot of a lot of gauze. Uh, I would also and, recommend adding a sharpie or some other kind of permanent marker. Yeah, um, I was going to say uh, to to write the time for your TQ or anything else that you need down. Yep. Yeah, sharpies work Just really also well be on. Able to those fruits. Sharpies work really well on skin, so I would I would strongly encourage writing things on people's foreheads. That tends to be a good place to get somebody's attention when you hand a casualty over. Yeah, so, yeah it's funny. I, when I did stop the bleed uh, here, it was at the trauma center in the in the London hospital, and one of the things that the nurse, like this is a charge nurse that taught it, and she said very specifically that um, trauma surgeons hate it when you write on people's foreheads. They absolutely hate it. I don't know why I didn't get a chance to ask like what the background was on that. Um, but they absolutely hate it when you write on people's foreheads, which as far as I'm concerned is a really good, really good reason to do it. Yeah. yeah I, that, I, that yeah, I feel like it's an attention getter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, where else are you going to do that so that it's visible, like readily everywhere. visible yeah. everywhere? Like as soon as you go to look at someone, you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. They've had a tourniquet on their head since this time. Cause it's right yeah. on their forehead. Yeah. Um, and if they yeah, don't have a forehead, they probably don't need a tourniquet. Just throwing that yeah, out there. Yeah, Sharpie's good. I've yes. also got one of those little EMS right in the rain notepads in mine that lets me put down all kinds of other information that may or may not be important to the people that you hand them off to. Um, that's maybe a little overkill, but because of all the other things I do, I find it handy. But like at least a scrap piece of paper that you can write stuff on to could come in handy. You know? Yep. Certainly wouldn't hurt. Uh, once you start getting into your more advanced contents, this is stuff that I would uh, I would encourage people seek the appropriate training. Or yeah. if you feel lucky, I mean, that's another option because the, <laughs> the way that I look at the, uh, the decompression needle as an example, if I get to the situation where somebody that I really care about needs a decompression needle, I probably can't make it worse. Yep. Well planned. And I will defer to someone else, like, hey, is there a doctor in the house? If not, I will stab them with the needle. Right. Yep. So the the NPA, the decompression needle, you're not those gonna, things. You're not going to make with... it much worse by doing that. Yeah. You might not make it better, but it's pretty hard to make it worse. Yeah, but it's well, one of those that's... things that, like, you can't really practice it so much. Yeah. yeah you can practice yeah, landmarking, and you can... You can get a hypodermic and you can play with a hunk of meat, but it's not the it's not, it's the, not same. the same thing as dealing with a, a, a living, breathing patient that has something that's causing them to not be able to breathe. Yeah. So same thing like putting a, an NPA in somebody's nose, you can practice it. It's not a lot of fun for either party. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> also becomes no longer sterile, so you need a, a separate training one which i would recommend replacing because but, the npas are very inexpensive but it, but it also gets hilarious disgusting. for everyone else in the room to watch while other people are practicing it yeah. is always funny for somebody <laughs> to stick a nose hose up my nose but yeah it's, i would recommend it's funny if you're because get, it's not me yeah if you're going to do the npa or if you're going to do a decompression needle uh consider those advanced items use caution in getting that um i would be remiss if i didn't also say as a as a retailer of hemostatic agents, certain manufacturers require that you 
in order to buy it as a consumer, you must have some level of training or care. So read the appropriate disclaimer on the website when you buy it and do with that information and what you will. There is nothing, to, there's no license or anything to buy hemostatic agents, but uh, Quick Clot says that you must be appropriately trained in its use in order to purchase it. And it's up to retailers to enforce that how they will. So good make, make good life choices. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is one question here in the, the live chat in regards to carrying Loxone. Um, thoughts on that for, uh, for IFAX? Absolutely. Uh, it's down in my other thing and my, my other notes at the bottom of the, the notes here. <laughs> if you live in Ontario and most provinces in Canada, although this is not yet universal, naloxone is free and comes in two flavors. There's the no, nasal it's, it's, You shouldn't say that it's free. It's paid for by the government. Yeah. Uh, so my tax dollars at work. I feel like this is this is so other. If CPD. you pay taxes, you've already paid for it. Yes. So, so you yeah. may as well go get some and get a little bit of your tax money back. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's right. It's, uh, it's so it's something that doesn't cost you anything directly to to have, and the training is out there. Um, there are two types available: um, an uh, uh, intramuscular and a um, sort of like a needle based and a nasal based. Um, take your pick. The needle based is less needs less input from the person who um, who is receiving it, whereas the nasal based that person has to be breathing in order for it to be effective. I, I've heard also that even if that person is breathing and all of that is is less effective. Yeah, overall, it's, it's going to take longer to be effective. It's. Um, so. It's better than nothing. Like if you have a real yeah. phobia for needles and you just can't bring yourself to do that, then have the needle kit. If, however, you are in any way comfortable dealing with this, then use the uh, um, use the needle based because it's going to be faster. Um, just one kind of note on that: if you bring somebody out of pie, they are going to be upset with you. So deliver mm -hmm. the naloxone and then take a step back and let them come up on their own. Yeah. And, and there's a good chance that you may need to deliver a second one. Naloxone yep. kits come with two doses for a reason. Yeah, if help is not readily there. Yep. Yeah, it, it only temporarily reverses the effect. So after a short while, they will start ODing again, in which case you will need to deliver the second dose. Good to know. Keep in mind as well that uh, you can't let it freeze. So if you've got a kit, yeah. don't let it freeze. Yeah, it is. It's heat susceptible. So yeah, you, you want to keep that inside so that it's not yeah. getting too hot and or too cold. It's but, not good for it. Uh, if you do live in Ontario, uh, almost any pharmacy is able to give you this over the counter without any kind of prescription. And most pharmacists are able to give you the training for either of the flavors. So uh, consult your province's healthcare system for how it works there. But I mean, this stuff is pretty widely available at this point in Ontario. It's free and easy to get a hold of. You walk into a shoppers that has it. Not every shoppers has it, but you walk into a shoppers drug mark. You ask them yeah. if they have it. You tell them that you need the five minute example on how to use it. And they give you your package and you walk out. Yep. They also give you a little certificate. So if you have to go back, and get another one. Um, yeah, you just show the certificate and you don't have to go through the training again. Yeah. Uh, in theory, at least in Ontario, I don't know how applicable this is. In theory, in Ontario, you're supposed to only be issued one government naloxone kit at a time. So you need to uh, 
you need to give them the old one back, I guess, to get a new one. But there's also, they, they also don't, you're not required to give your name to obtain them. And so if you have a need to bend that, then you certainly can. <laughs> what I've been told by pharmacists is that if you, if you say, I need another kit because I want one, because I need one in my car and I want, and I need one for this place where I go, where it's a thing, then they'll give you another one. Like they don't, they're, they're not picky about it. They're the yeah. government is keenly interested in getting those kits into people's hands. Well, they've already paid for them and they've been sitting in a warehouse forever. So yep. they got to get them out before they expire. So yeah, get it out somewhere that it'll do some good. Hopefully. So I wouldn't say the naloxone kit, strictly speaking, is part of an IFAC, but it's definitely a thing that I would, I would encourage your listeners to start looking into getting because unfortunately, carfentanil and regular fentanyl and whatever the next thing will be. I suppose if if it's regular fentanyl, then carfentanil. The next step will be truck fentanyl. Yeah. <laughs> With the with the prevalency of these drugs and uh, the unfortunate efficacy that they have. I would much rather that you had the naloxone kit available because I don't really like people talk about coming up on junkies and all this other stuff. I would be more worried that I accidentally touch something that's contaminated with carfentanil or that my kid does. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I don't hang Mm -hmm. out in areas where there's too many junkies, so I'm not worried about that, but I am worried. Yeah. You happen to go out, you know, do a bar or restaurant, go use the bathroom and, brush up against it somehow or you know you breathe in or something at the wrong place and time and ingest it that way somehow so good thing to have absolutely absolutely excellent question what do we got on the uh, list of other goodies uh the other goodies are sort of my idea of things that people ask me for or buy or things that i see in first aid kits that you're maybe getting out of the improved first aid kit and more into your, your trauma kit or a larger kit. Really the improved first aid kit to me is a, a thing that you carry on or with you the same way that when the military started issuing it, it went on your battle order and you carried it around. Yeah. I don't carry my full trauma bag around. Like Gavin's got his full trauma bag in his car. It's a little bit unwieldy to walk through Walmart with. Yeah. It's not (laughs) practical. You get weird looks. So this is, this is when you get into the other goodies. And this is all like size and budget. So if you want to start adding things like splints or suture kits or tape in various flavors, because they could do a whole show on tape, uh, yeah. things to treat burns with, breathing valve masks because they're big, IVs and fluids because they're big and their scope of care, emergency blankets, cervical collars, uh, Medications, yeah. things like epinephrine or naloxone. Yeah, or um, anything for like bee stings and stuff. Yep. EpiPen, yep. Um, yeah. And not a bad thing to have around as, a, as an antihistamine as well. Yeah. Even if somebody's not having an anaphylactic reaction, it can be unpleasant. Yep. Super glue. Super glue yep. does wonders. Super glue was first invented to, uh, to close wounds in the battlefield. It's one of those great little things that you can just keep for little little tiny cuts when you don't want to use a band-aid. Yep. The, uh, the one thing that I would not recommend keeping in your IFAC is actually uh, painkiller type medication, anything like that. I would uh, I'd be careful with things like naloxone and epinephrine because they are generally one-time use applications. And usually there's a specific reason that you're giving them out. 
uh, I wouldn't be offering people Tylenol for their headache out of your IFAC. Uh, no, probably no. you're not rotating it out fast enough for it to be effective, but also you shouldn't be giving other people medication. So I would, I would separate the meds from the IFAC with the exception of things like epinephrine and naloxone. Yeah. Ty- Tylenol is not a life-saving drug. We're talking about saving a life, not making somebody's more, somebody more convenient. Yeah. So I would, I would not keep those things, Tylenol, Advil, um, antihistamines, uh, what, what's the thing that you give old people half of so they don't have a heart attack? Um, aspirin. 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 ASA. Yeah. It, yeah. Acid. yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, I, that's again, one of those, one of those gray areas. Cause like ASA is, um, is a light, is a lifesaver. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a gray area. But again, if, you know, if you're not rotating it out, then it's not, it's not going to do any good to anybody. So. So I, would, I, w- I would not keep those things in your first aid kit. The things that I would consider would be epinephrine and naloxone. Um, um, if that's within your, your scope of care if, and things if that you you're... If you are responsible for your work first aid kit, make sure those things are not in your work first aid kit. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be in a drawer immediately next to it. Just don't keep them in your work first aid kit. Yeah, it makes WSIB all kind of mad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, um, I'm partial to, to, to band-aids, um, the door band-aids specifically. I find that when I'm on a construction site and I start giving out door band-aids, I get a lot fewer complaints about the little cuts and scrapes that don't really yeah. need attention. I keep Hello well, Kitty in my, my little boo-boo kit for when we're at the <laughs> Yeah, Hello I, Kitty I, works I, well. It's hilarious. I'm, I'm glad Gavin brought this up because this is another one of those things that I would recommend that if you're going to be in a situation where you're likely to hand out Hello Kitty band-aids, I wouldn't keep those in your IFAC. I would keep a boo-boo kit. Um, so Gavin yeah. has his little boo-boo kit that he carries around. I have a little soap dish container, like a travel piece of plastic travel container that I have. Um, I think right now it might be Transformers Band-Aids in it. Nice. <laughs> nice. Because, um, I, yeah, people occasionally will cut, get a paper cut or, or jam their yeah. hand on something and slice yeah. it a little bit. But it's not like... This doesn't need a tourniquet. This doesn't need a dressing, and I don't want you bleeding all over my good stuff. So send a yep. friend and open up the little plastic container and take out a an Optimus <laughs> Prime Band-Aid and feel bad about yourself. Yeah, as long as Optimus Prime is, if it's a Decepticon Band-Aid, then we're gonna have to talk about that. But for the for the, the Transformers <laughs> Band-Aid, those are cool. Yeah, I've got I've got Star Wars and Hello Kitty for when I do you know community events and like the, you know we've got kids that have come and hurt themselves on something that's minor and they need a little Band-Aid. It's like yeah. here you go. Or for the tough guys at the range that kneel down on brass or jam their finger in a tabour when they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's funny. And the uh, ones that take it with a good sense of humor, you know they're good. The ones that get all butthurt about it, it, <laughs> it makes it even better for me. So. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's telling. Yeah. <laughs> so how about purchasing first aid supplies? So... I have a bunch of notes. I mean, I think we've covered the majority of this, but so. buy things from a reputable source. Yeah. Note that some items may or, require training, although you generally don't have to prove that. Um, monitor things that have expiry dates. A lot of the time it's an efficacy date, or a lot of the time it's a cover-your-butt thing from the manufacturer, like um, sterile-sealed bandages often have an expiration date on them they're not going to become unsealed and unsterile. It's just a legal thing. If it's still a sealed package, it's still good. Become unsterile. That's still, that's a deal with that in the hospital thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's still a band-aid uh, bandage. It's still going to work. It's, uh, but I mean, over time, things do tend to lose their efficacy. Um, things like your hemostatic agents, things like your naloxone or your epinephrine, um, especially things that are exposed to changing temperatures, either extremely high or extremely low temperatures. Yeah, that, that being so just, said, about the the gauze though, like, so if you're in an emergency and you, you pull out your your gauze and it's hemostatic gauze, and you're like, oh, it's six months past expiry, it's still gauze, it'll still yeah. work. The clotting agent just may not be as effective as it could be, so it's still still use it. it like, it's not going to do anything bad. It's not like all of a sudden the wound is going to set on fire or something. <laughs> it's just it may not work as well. Yeah. Just the, uh, the other thing to, to remember with efficacy uh, and things degrading over time due to environmental conditions is your tourniquet. Most tourniquets are made out of some kind of a fabric. Most fabric is susceptible to ultraviolet light damage. So having your tourniquet strapped to your body armor as a, you know, a beat cop and it's on your, it's on your soft vest and you're walking around all day in downtown Toronto and it's there for four years. It may, over time, not be as effective because the ultraviolet light will break down the fabric and the threads. So, good point. There's if it looks super uh, fake from sunlight, replace it. Yeah, that, I mean that's generally the rule. If it looks all washed out and faded, generally it's time to replace it. Uh, the other thing is most tourniquets have a stamped date of manufacturer, so add a couple of years and then rotate them out. That becomes a training tourniquet. Good to know. So I see. Uh, this was, you could probably sell it for a few bucks on the EE on gun nuts, but no, there you yeah, go. This was, a, <laughs> this was a thing with some of the older generation, like the first and second gen cats in, I think, Afghanistan. It might have been Iraq that they had some failures in combat conditions. And it turns out it's because they were exposed to like Iraqi sunshine for a year or two because people would just like um, rubber band them to their plate carrier. And then mm. they would become less effective. So you. In general, if it's inside of a bag or if it's inside of a covered pouch, it's probably not going to get, be getting UV damage. But if it looks washed out and faded and generally they start to look well-worn, that's probably a good time to replace it. Yeah. yeah. yeah when you do replace it, make sure you... It, just buy a new one. It's like 10 bucks a year. Yeah. Like, yeah. When you do buy a new one, when you do rotate it out, make sure you take the shipping packaging off, have it ready to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just yeah. Stage your stage non- your kit so you can use it. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Not non-sterile things should be open out of the package because they're already non-sterile. Yep. Um, yep. And on your cat tourniquet, at least, there's a Velcro tab that has time marked on it. Like it, it's got like printed the word time and a blank spot where you're supposed to sharpie in the time that you apply the tourniquet. Don't cover the windlass because you look silly when you do it. It's like how you look silly when it's still in the original shipping packaging. It yep. takes like I'm I mess with that package for probably thirty seconds every time I open one of these new to get a corner started. You don't want to yeah. do that when you're already covered in no. blood on the side of the road and somebody's yeah. missing yeah. an arm. Like that's not you, the time to deal with that. No, You'd better off just ripping that piece of Velcro off, to be honest, because you're gonna write time yeah. on the forehead anyways. Well, and if by by the time you pull that that velcro over, it's now covered in blood, and you can't write on it. So, yeah, yeah. So stage that That's stuff up. up. The other thing with the uh, the sealed items, I would strongly recommend you buy the uh, gorilla tape. Uh, you know, 
we all miss her. I've been playing with a little roll of Gorilla Tape right now. Best stuff in the world. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. It's a little bit more expensive, but to put it on some of this plastic packaging that things like Israeli bandages or Cellox come in, they're already, most of the sterile packages are already um, scored, maybe isn't the right word. It's certainly not perforated, but there's like a little cut in them, a little triangular tear to start tearing. And in the dark or in adverse conditions with your hands being covered in blood or being cold or any of that sort of thing where it's not an ideal classroom condition where you're trying to open this packaging, um, a little half inch piece, like a one inch piece of Gorilla tape that's one inch wide folded over itself. So you have a little tab. It's tactilely. It's, it feels different okay. than the, the smooth plastic case. It's, so it's you get that little visible. Yeah. It's even blindfolded. You could be like, Oh, there it is. Yeah. You can find your little tab and you just pull that and hold on to the rest of the package. And I do all the corners on mine. So yep. as many times as they're as many times as they have that little tear piece already on them. Um, I have that many pieces of gorilla tape, uh, the one inch wide stuff that's an inch long folded over on itself so that I can grab it and I can pull and it gives you that little bit of extra leverage. And because it's the gorilla brand stuff, Harambe does his magic and it works. It doesn't pull off like duct tape. It stays yep. where you put it. Yeah, perfect. Don't know if uh, anybody noticed, but Ian is currently not here. Wait, you might some questions. I know, weird, right? But uh, I thought it was something, quiet. Yeah, something, something to do about high heels and having to go out in the town or something. Uh, but he did He's leave a couple a lumberjack. of questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did, however, leave a couple of questions. So I'll throw them out here. Um, so you want to know about uh, brand preferences for uh, IFAC pouches. High speed gear. All right. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? No hesitation. Uh, yep, so, so the, reason, the reason that I like high speed gear, uh, made in America, American materials, lifetime warranty. It's a little bit more expensive, but if you ever have a problem with it, you just send it back and you get a new one. Uh, of course, Ragnarok Tactical also has a, a fantastic relationship with high speed gear, and we're a retailer. Um, Runner up choice, 511. They have some medical specific pouches. Um, I'm a huge fan of their UCR pouch, the Uniform Charlie Romeo pouch. Uh, it's a headrest pouch. It's uh, probably about eight inches tall, and then it's uh, maybe like four by four on the other dimensions. It's got a little molly on the outside of it. And it's set up to hold. I have mine set up with uh, two tourniquets, two six-inch bandages, uh, two different sets of hemostatic gauze, uh, shears, air release system, uh, NPA lube, spare lube, uh, all the goodies. And so I mean, like they're they're fairly extensive first aid kits, and they sit on the headrest of any any vehicle. It's got okay. like a bungee cord elastic band thing. I'm a really big fan of that because my opinion is the place that you're likely to run into some sort of traumatic injury is probably in a motor vehicle collision. Most so likely. having them up high on the headrest and having them easily recognizable as first aid devices is uh, is my preference. Awesome. I like it. Uh, yeah. How about training available for uh, TCCC? Uh, good luck is going in Canada. Yeah. All right. These ones? Uh, the, the, the runners up to that, of course, go take your basic first aid, standard first aid, wilderness first aid, do the Red Cross uh, St. John's stuff. Um, just I mean, like everything else, more is better. We, we, we mm-hmm. brought somebody in and that's how we managed to, to get some of that training and we'll 
should probably look at revisiting that again because it was amazing training. Yeah, um, Sprint ba- Spent Brass Solutions LLC from uh, Rancho Cucamonga, California. Val came up uh, and did a course with Ragnarok Tactical. Uh, we hosted him for a weekend, and he did a uh, – it was like a care under fire course. What was it? it was uh, I mean, it was effectively as full-blown a TCCC as you could get as a civilian. It was a full weekend of basically learning everything. The uh, the other option would be to look at C Toms and do uh, C T O M S Charlie Tango Oscar Mike. Uh, C Toms is, uh, is a, a primarily a military supplier in Canada. They do a lot of military and police force first aid stuff. Uh, they're also a great place to buy cry precision if you're feeling a little spendy or you have that government money. Yeah, um, they have a they have a police officer down program um, POD. It's an online course. I believe they also have some instructors where you can do it in person, but it's primarily an online curriculum. Uh, it, it, you don't have to be a police officer to take it. It's open to anyone. Um, I would recommend that as another alternative, but it is distance education that may not work for everyone. I find the hands-on stuff works better. That's why we're Stop the Bleed instructors, because that's the, the highest level of certification that Gavin and I are able to obtain right now. And... Bleeding is the cause of 90% of all traumatic injury outside of cardiac events. Right. And uh, how about a rough cost uh, for a budget for a proper IFAC? Man, the sky is the limit. I guess you could oh, probably yeah. get away what a yeah. tourniquet and a pressure dressing that puts you at about 50 bucks, 55 bucks, something like that. I, I would say that um, probably $75 puts you into a, like a bare, a bare minimum. Yep. Right. Yeah, and then you're going to want to add the accessories and the pouches and the other stuff. And I'm just going to filibuster for a moment while I add a few things to a shopping cart because I, <laughs> I have a pretty good idea that you're going to be at about $120 or so to outfit yourself with a reasonable quality first aid kit. But I'm just going to put all these things in the cart and make sure that I'm right. All right. I would probably say that 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 is good. I mean, we recently just built up a couple of kits for a. A range in the middle of nowhere in very very northern Ontario. Uh, so if they happen to listen to the show, thank you for that order. That was awesome. They they spent a, a fair bit of money and bought. I think it was three or four complete kits. Nice. So that that was good. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Your stuff is in the mail. Actually, it'll be in the mail tomorrow. I packed the order when I got home from my day job. Yeah. Uh, Still working so, on some logistics uh, on maybe getting out there to give those guys a stop the bleed class, but it's going to probably take a flight to to Winnipeg to get that done. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I would say that for for your basic first aid kit, like for your average person that doesn't have any extra special skills or uh, wants to deal with things like uh, air release systems, decompression needles, you're probably looking at about 140 bucks plus a pouch. Uh, for 140 bucks, you're going to get quick clot combat gauze, uh, a pair of Fox seals, an emergency bandage of some description, uh, whether it's an Israeli bandage or an OLS bandage, and uh, a cat tourniquet, and that'll put you just under 140 dollars. Huh, not bad. Yeah, yeah, it could save your life, right? Yep. Yeah. If you're well worth the investment, worth 140 dollars. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, as I'm, I'm looking at all the first aid kits that are sitting around my recording studio here, and I'm looking at well, that one, that one was three hundred bucks, and that one was four hundred bucks, and that one was only a hundred bucks. And don't even, 
that, that trauma kid in my trunk is yeah yeah <laughs> an AG. yeah but but yeah. i mean the other thing is expand over time as you get the training on this stuff like anybody can use an, an emergency bandage yep. yeah it, literally put it on the thing that's bleeding and then follow the directions so that it continues to applying pressure yep. pretty well anybody can use a chest seal they're 30 bucks read the directions and then keep it in your kit. And if you need it, open it up and slap it on somebody's chest. And it even works on hairy people like me. (laughs) All right. So before we move into the podcast challenge, just uh, anything else you guys wanted to add in or anything else you wanted to, uh, to get up to the listeners as far as IFAX go? Tampons. Stop it. Yeah. uh, Stop talking about it. You can send your hate mail about tampons to Andrew at Ragnarok tactical.ca. Yeah. I will send you the appropriate gif. Yeah. yeah. Tampons are they're great, just... great thing to carry if you're a considerate boyfriend and or husband. Yeah. Uh, or both. You could be both. Bleed. Yeah, yeah, good for nosebleed. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. What they're designed for, but yeah, don't don't put them in your first aid kit. Don't And don't put them into traumatic injuries. They're they no. they go in the body, but that that's not how you're supposed to use yeah. them. So. <laughs> yeah. No. Just just no. Yeah. Just no. Yeah, I like that's all just I have to no. Say about that's... That. Just no. If no you tampons. think that that's if you think that that's a good idea, then feel free to stop listening right now and go <laughs> yeah. away. Just come <laughs> back when you're ready to when you're ready to listen to some real advice. Yeah, yeah. It's like the oh. cornstarch to promote clotting. Yeah, I mean it'll no. probably work better than nothing, but yeah. also don't do it. If yep. I get in the middle of the so so will cryogenic freezing that will stop circulation. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's a good yeah. idea. It doesn't mean it, it, and that's the, that's the problem with a lot of this stuff is people on the internet are trying to save a buck. It's yep. the same thing as buying the Amazon. Yeah, uh, whatever the Amazon tourniquet was called the other day, I saw one. It was twelve bucks, and it looks yeah. like a cat, but it's not a cat. It's not. It's it yeah. will it will break at some point. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that point is when you need it to not break. Yeah. Of course, don't do it. Yeah, the only thing I would say is get get training and and keep yep. getting training. Like it it expires because you don't use it because we're not yeah. all there every day. You know putting tourniquets on people and stuff like that. So frankly, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Training expires. Get more training. You can, you cannot have too much training. Knowledge is power. Use it. Well, make good life choices. Yes. More training. Uh, So we will uh, move into the podcast challenge. So challenge for this episode is uh, get a tourniquet and a real one. Uh, not an Amazon POS or uh, you know something that's going to break the first time you use it, like we've uh, mentioned a few times throughout the episode. Uh, make it part of your EDC, whether it's in your backpack, your car, your cargo po- or cargo pocket. Actually, it should be in all three spots. So get three of them. Uh, and then um, think about what your worst-case scenario will be and uh, be able to control the bleeding. And uh, go get an Aloxone kit from your local pharmacy. Try to get two. And then uh, fire in an email to uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and... Uh, let us know what story you told them to get two or three or 10 or however many kits you get. Uh, and then we can pass it along to the other listeners. Yeah. Or send us pictures or notes on our Facebook page or however you like. Uh, let, us, let us know what you've done. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Don't and forget that the code again is patriot at ragnaroptactical.ca yes. to save some money. Exactly. There you go. There you go. There's no reason not to get three or four uh, tourniquets now. Yeah. Let's say, I mean, with ten, with ten percent off, like if you buy ten, you actually get a third one for free for the service. Exactly. Well, Perfect. Go. Or ten, you get give a one, one. Give, yeah, give one. Give one to a friend. Yeah. 
Yep. There you go. Share the love. <laughs> All right, let's move into episode closing. So, uh, upcoming events. Um, looks like uh, Hangouts is it. This is the last episode that we can do with Hangouts. So, um, we're going to try to move to something new for the uh, next week's episode. Uh, hang in with us if it doesn't work right. Um, we might miss a week. Hopefully not. Hopefully everything uh, smoothly transitions into the new system, but uh, we will see. But we will be back if we disappear for a week. Uh, we're still going to be using iTunes. We're still going to be using YouTube. Uh, so you'll still be able to get us on uh, your favorite podcast app. It's just a matter of uh, working out some technical uh, technical setups and getting things working again. So Thanks, Google. Yeah, jerks. Way to go, <laughs> Google. <laughs> uh, shout outs. Uh, anybody got any shoutouts? I've left this blank, but um, yeah, to, to our, our listeners and our people that are actually doing this stuff that you know that we talk about, um, thank you for doing that. It makes this uh, makes this kind of worthwhile. Let us know what you've done because otherwise, we're just talking to each other, and that's fun. But we can do that in a different platform. True. Yeah. As far as email and iTunes reviews, uh, the inbox is still dry. Um, so don't forget feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Um, fire us your hate mail or fire us your love mail, whatever you want. Either or. Uh, we'll read it all. Um, and we've got a couple of new reviews on iTunes. We're up to 27 five stars. We've got that one little guy, four star. And uh-oh, we've got a one star. If you've, if you've so. never done anything to, if you've never done anything to earn enemies, you've never done anything at all. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you're not getting complaints, you're not doing it right. Right. And so exactly. So there we go. We, we, our first one star, I will uh, move away from fretting about the four star and uh, focus on the one star. <laughs> <laughs> Did they at least leave a good comment? No, they didn't. I'm, I'm uh, a little disappointed. I went hunting for it. Like, yes, a one star. There's going to be some negative comment. No, nothing. At least they told you to get stuffed or something. I'm yeah. Anything to read. Yeah. Yeah. You would think, but oh, well, so yeah, if, uh, if you're out there and you're listening and you gave us the one star, which I doubt you are because you gave us a one star, um, yeah, leave some feedback. Why not? Give us something to talk about. Yeah. Or if you just don't understand how the rating system works and it was actually a five star, then let's just go ahead and change that. Yeah, you can change it. Yeah, yeah. make it a three star. It's, it's the opposite of golf, right? The, high, the higher <laughs> the number, the better. Exactly. Uh, so uh, with that, I'll bring episode number 31 of the uh, Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out and take a few minutes, submit a review. Uh, it helps other people find us. You can also find us prepperpodcast.ca and on Facebook. We do record these shows live on YouTube chats for now. Uh, if you want an early peek of the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, the Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click the notifications tab. That will give you alerts when we're going live. You can also contact me directly on Instagram at PPSWO. Andrew, where can people find you? Uh, hopefully, we're not ha having a hiatus, but normally we'd be on Canadian Patriot Podcast uh, live Monday nights, 9 p.m. on YouTube or Anywhere that you are fine, favorite podcasts are distilled. It's an alcohol joke because we drink a lot on that show. We have to because we talk about the government and how it makes us sad. Uh, you can also get all of your quality first aid supplies, firearms, accessories, or training from RagnarokTactical.ca. That's my little tax shelter. And you want to use the discount code PATRIOT at checkout. It'll save you 10%. Thank you for being a listener. Awesome. Gavin, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at all of those places that Andrew just mentioned, but uh, I guess the, the, you can also find me on Instagram at urbex underscore GTA, or you can find both Andrew and I 
as an official uh, booth beards at uh, the upcoming TACCOM trade show in September at the International Center in Toronto. Very nice. Come and buy all of your favorite medical supplies in person and get amazing beard grooming tips from us. Um, For a very reasonable price, I'll let you shove an NPA in Gavin's nose and I will give you the size that is too big. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. We can do that for charity. There we go. All right, so uh, please check out Rapid Survival. That's at rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, thanks for joining us, and you can tune in for the next episode. We're going to be covering off tips for the lazy prepper, so minimal effort for easy gains in preparedness. And uh, just a quick thank you to uh, Andrew and Gavin for coming out uh, this evening. It's been a lot of great information. I appreciate you taking the, the time to get it out to the listeners. I know it's going to be useful. Anytime. And until uh, next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs>